welcome to episode 112 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris, and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers. We're not professionals, so all, all advice must be taken in that context. Uh, but we do love looking at the nighttime sky, and this podcast is for anybody else who likes going out under the stars. How was your week, Shane? Oh, it was a good week. Yeah, yeah, good week. Got some observing in. Um wasn't too bad at work in terms of, you know, sometimes work is so busy, it, it prevents me from observing because I'm too tired. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, everything kind of worked out pretty good this week for me. Yeah. How was your week? Yeah. Uh, about the same busy work is very busy right now, though. I'm taking the odd day off here and there. Um, just not, not doing as much astronomy, actually most, mostly due to the pandemic because, uh, to go to my dark side, I kind of got to drive. Well, for really dark skies, we have to drive out of the city. I'm currently being told not to, uh, not to do that. But uh, we did have some some listener uh, emails that we had uh, a really nice email that, that you forwarded me from Larry, congratulating us on our on our one year podcast anniversary. Yeah, yeah, Larry. Uh, Larry emails us um, somewhat frequently with really good observing reports, and uh, yeah, it was nice to hear from him again and. Definitely appreciated the the email. It was nice to see. Yeah, no, really do uh, really do like getting getting those. And then uh, we did have another. Now, now we this was really appreciated. This uh, not that we don't appreciate all all uh, emails or, or or voicemails that we receive, but I, I think all listeners are going to benefit from this one, and that's that we we receive some audio advice from from a listener and uh, it sounds like it's going to be a bit of a game changer there uh can you just talk about a little bit about that shane yeah for sure so a big thanks to razvan uh he's a fellow canadian uh in toronto another rask member and um uh so he sent us an email just uh, stating he recently found the podcast and he's been enjoying it but um you know chris and i have been well aware of our our, our achilles heel or our biggest weakness probably in this podcast and that's our audio quality uh you know we know that it is up and down and it can probably be a little annoying to listen to because um you know you might have to turn the volume up a little bit to hear some quiet parts and then we blow out your eardrums when it gets loud again <laughs> um so Ooh. not only are we <laughs> yeah not only are chris and i amateur astronomers uh, we're, well, I'll, maybe I won't speak for you, Chris, but I'm completely incompetent when it comes to audio editing and, and, you know, the nuances around audio processing. Um, so well, here, here's the thing is that I, I, I did do a fair bit when we first did our podcast and we actually found that to be a, an impediment because, uh, you know, if we do want to produce these regularly, if it's taken me weeks to get around to doing the, the audio editing, then we just won't be putting these out on a regular basis. So we're, we're trying to, uh, to put out lots of really good podcasts with as good audio as we can get. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was kind of the trade-off. Um, but anyway, yeah. Razvan, uh, he recommended just a couple of simple settings for our audio processing, uh, that would balance the levels. Um, so I messed around a little bit with it, uh, prior to recording today. And I, I think it's going to be a lot better. Um, so just a heads up to everybody, um, you know, if the audio is better or worse, definitely let us know. Cause, uh, if it's not, especially if it's worse, we'll, we'll keep trying to get it better. Uh, just playing around with some settings, but, uh, fingers are crossed that it sounds a lot better and that it's just more balanced throughout the entire episode. 
Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, really appreciate all your hard work uh, on this, Shane. I know, I know you've been working on it for a while now, and uh, I appreciate that because I, I probably burned myself out trying to <laughs> trying to fix audio the first time around. And then, of course, uh, to Razban uh, for uh, for providing uh, that great suggestion, which I also did read and uh, took a look at the at the screenshots that that, that Shane was able to use, uh, and and I think did improve on our on our last show as a bit of a demo, but. Uh, was was sort of post uh, release, but then uh, then this one we're going to give it a try. The other thing I might try doing is I think I'm going to try switching computers here uh, in coming weeks. But I, I thought I would do it today, but then uh, I didn't kind of want to change up too much on us, and then we we don't know what worked, right? Mm-hmm. Control the variables. Exactly, exactly. I'm always. I think I'm more aware of that now working, you know, for the past uh, two and a half years on a scientific study where we're always trying to control things. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And we heard from Phil and, you know, that was so funny because I, I, you and I were communicating on on this uh, audio and, and other things. And I said, Hey, we haven't heard from Phil in a while. And you're like, Oh shoot. I meant to forward you the email or the voicemail that I got from Phil just today. So, um, yeah, it was kind of, uh, kind of interesting and he'd gone camping. It seemed. Yeah. Yeah. He does, um, once or twice a year, it sounds like he, he gets away from the city lights and does some, you know, backcountry camping to get away from it all. And I think this was his first trip in a while, just due to the pandemic. Yeah. And uh, what was pretty interesting about his trip is like, so he, he and I were conversing prior to uh, him leaving, um, you know, where when he goes camping, it's not car camping. It, you know, he's packing everything in that he needs. Uh, so taking a telescope really mm-hmm. wasn't an option, but he was wondering, uh, you know, if mm-hmm. there's some uh, compact binoculars that are easy to pack in. Um, so what he ended up settling yep. on was those, uh, opera, uh, binoculars, they fold, like they look like kind of a metal canister. Yep. Uh, you press a button or something, yep. they flip open, the objectives are there. Um, so I think they're like two times or two and a half times by 25 millimeter yep. is my, yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, you know, when Phil said he was taking these camping, I said, definitely let us know what you think of them. And he was like ecstatic yeah. about the performance. It sounds like they were pretty awesome for him. And uh, yeah, like they provided some wider fields that he really appreciated. Uh, it sounds like. So um, I know these things vary a little bit in price. I think over uh, like in the UK and, and maybe, you know, Europe in general, it sounds like they're pretty affordable, like five to $20 sort of thing. Um, I think they're a little yeah. bit more expensive in North America. Like if you just look on eBay, I think we're probably 30 to $50, but, um, I've never used them. So I, you know, I can't comment on them, but Phil certainly enjoyed them. Yeah. I had, a uh, <laughs> he, he was a neighbor and then he was, then he was my boss for a while. Um, really, really enjoyed working for that individual. But anyway, he had all these different binoculars and, uh, and he did have a set of those, um, I think I definitely prefer the, the seven by 35s. Um, I think, I feel like they, they cut a pretty good middle ground. And then there are some really interesting, uh, opera glass style binoculars that are around these days. I know it seems just what everybody has a pair of these 20.3 X by, you know, whatever, which is really just, just enhancing your own vision. They're like super, uh, glasses, basically, uh, you know, you and I made a set, Phil referred to those that, that we 3D printed. And I, I think those are, um, you know, a great alternative 
uh, as well. We certainly each have a, have a pair. And, you know, I think uh, just that super low power wide field uh, and then Phil talked about that as well, just like the ability to see such a huge field of view um, is really nice as well. And, and these, these opera glass type binoculars, whether they're the fold up ones or, or the ones like you and I 3d printed or, now available from all kinds of vendors. I think they're like a two or 2.3 by 50 is usually how they're marketed. But I, I think there's like eBay ones you can get. There's, there's ones that you can get on Amazon. There's ones you can get um, from Astro Hutech. There's ones you can get from Orion. There's all kinds of different ones that are out there. So uh, definitely uh, worth exploring. I, I think probably the, the less expensive ones, I think they were maybe $80 American. And that would be definitely uh, something I would, I would put pretty high on the absolute priority list for uh, ultimate portability and, and usability. I wish, wish I had taken my pair. Did I have my pair when I went to Hawaii? I can't remember or not, but I didn't. I just took my 7 by 35s and uh, anyhow. But yeah, those, those opera glass style binoculars are, are pretty wicked. I wonder, like, so I listened to Phil's voicemail, but it didn't say exactly where he went. Did, did you know, like, even just generally, like, was it like a big national park or what was it? I'm not too sure. Yeah. I'm not too sure where he went uh, in the UK, um, somewhere away from lights. That's all I really know. Yeah. I'm just, I'm really curious. Um, like I, like, I think I've mentioned this before. I spent a uh, summer, uh, in the UK studying archeology, span um, which is a great place to go if you want to study archeology. span And, uh, anyway, I was just like uh, really curious and I watch all these archeology span shows, um, based out of, uh, the UK. And, uh, so I was like, uh, kind of, I'm, I'm fairly familiar with the general landscape. So I was just curious if you knew where he went, but he went, uh, hammock camping. Wasn't that something you were talking about trying hammock camping at one point? Was that you that was talking about that or somebody else? Must have, must have been somebody else. I I've mentioned maybe bringing, um, like a, fr- like a collapsible framed, uh, hammock. So like okay. this would be car camping, right? Um, because yeah. when we go to, to grasslands, it, you know, you can't, you can't really, at least me, I can't nap in a tent because they turn into a sauna during the daytime. And I thought maybe yeah. if I had this hammock, uh, I would be able to get a nap, but as you know, the grasslands, like this area is, uh, enormous. Like, I, I don't know how many acres or hectares or whatever are there, but it's enormous. And there's probably three trees in this entire span of land. <laughs> so you really can't do a traditional hammock between trees. Uh, so, you know, this framed hammock was kind of a, a thought in my mind, but, um, I bought one and it's just set up in our backyard now. So no camping with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think that's going to be something I, I explore, um, for this summer is getting something to, uh, sort of quick pitch in, in a shady spot, um, for the trips down there. And, uh, cause it does get, uh, it does get hot in the day. So it's, it's pretty much impossible to sleep in a tent. Um, if you do, you're just going to get, you're just going to get so dehydrated anyway. Um, that's no good. So I, I really have to try to figure out something, um, that's, uh, that's, that's, uh, very well ventilated, um, that I can quick pitch just to go and find a shady spot somewhere, which can be very difficult to do there. And then the other thing is, is that, you kind of have to be a little bit careful down there. I mean, there, there are, you know, animals and that around and, and other creatures. Um, and you kind of don't want to, there's a couple spots where the bison go and cross and you kind of don't want to pitch in that spot sort of. 
So yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Phil was asking about, uh, whether he should get an eight inch daub. And I think you maybe mentioned possibly getting a 10 or, or getting a 10 inch daub. What are your thoughts on, on Phil getting, uh, an eight or a 10 inch daub, uh, Shane? Um, well, I, I think an eight inch daub is a, a wonderful telescope. Um, I totally would recommend that. Um, I, I used to have one. I had one for many years and then I sold it to, uh, I got stung with aperture fever. So I sold it to fund the purchase of a 12 inch mead light bridge. Um, anyway, long mm. story short, I bought and I've sold an awful lot of stuff, including telescopes. I regret very few of my transactions. Uh, one that I do regret though, is selling my eight inch daub. And I still occasionally think of picking one up. Um, it's, it's just, yeah like the perfect balance between aperture, uh, portability, uh, you know, ability to just easily move it around the yard. Um, and, um, even a little bit of wide field, like one of my best views that I've ever had of, uh, M31 Andromeda, um, is through my eight inch daub. Um, it was incredible through that telescope yeah. and, uh, I definitely miss it. How about you? What do you think about the yeah. eight inch? Yeah, I think, I think the eight inches are, are really awesome. Um, in particular, I think like the Skywatcher brands, um, mm -hmm. I've looked through tons and tons of, of the eight and the 10 inches. Um, to be honest, I kind of think the 10 inch now, the way that they're building them. Um, so the eight inch is an F six. So it's got about a 40 uh, inch focal, uh, focal length. And then the, uh, I think the 10 inches F 4.7 or 4.8 or something like that. So it's, it's about the same focal length. And then, um, just cause of the design, the tube is a little bit shorter. So, so they end up, I forget what it is, but the difference in actual size and heft between the eight and the 10 inch is not, uh, it's not that significant. Although, I mean, it, it depends like, you know, every pound counts as, as we talk about when you're trying to lug stuff out observing, but, uh, but if, if somebody's in Phil's position, I was thinking I might lean towards getting the 10 because he already has like a pretty good little, I think it's a 130 mil or, or five inch telescope. And I was thinking, well, that is really super portable. And he's got these other really small portable telescopes. So I, I might for Phil specifically, if he's not just starting out, he's already done quite a bit of astronomy. He's really looking for that aperture. I might nudge him towards the... Uh, the 10 inch a little bit more. Cause I'll tell you, I've spent a long time comparing um, five inch telescopes to eight inch telescopes. And there's, there's a difference, but the thing with telescopes is there's really not that much of a difference between them. Like it's shocking how little difference there is between um, you know, like a five inch uh, instrument and, and an eight inch. It's just not that big, but if he went to a 10 inch, like double the aperture, I think he's really going to notice that bump. So anyway, but uh, you know, my advice is free and worth every penny. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> right on. So I was Good able stuff. to get a little uh, observing in this week. I had, Good. <clears throat> excuse me, one nighttime session. Um, but the seeing wasn't very good. Uh, so I really didn't actually do a lot of observing. I, I spent my time just looking at the moon. Um, and I was comparing uh, a newly acquired eyepiece, um, a Pentax eight and a half millimeter XF, um, and a nine millimeter Teleview Delight. Um, so these eyepieces are, are sort of not needed in my collection <laughs> as everything stands right now. Um, because I, I have a Leica mm -hmm. zoom, which is really awesome. And it hits that focal length. Um, but 
the reason I'm kind of interested in uh, these uh, these two eyepieces is I still am on the path towards getting a Bino viewer, and um, mm-hmm. you know the Leica won't, in my opinion, it won't work very well in the Bino viewer. Plus, it's pretty expensive uh, to own two yep. of those things. Um, so, uh, you know, the the delights and the XFs or the XF um, caught my eye because they provide a you know a decent field of view. Uh, they have really good eye relief and they're small in form factor and somewhat light compared to other eyepieces. So they, they make a, a good binocular viewing pair. Did I, did um, I see I that du- you, did I see that you bought two, uh, three, uh, 8.5 millimeter XFs? <laughs> well, I ended up with three. I, I bought two. <laughs> so I are bought you making two. a trinocular or something or yeah, maybe, maybe, um, um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> no, it, so I, I ordered two. Um, one was brand new. Uh, that was the last one they had in stock. Um, and it was on sale. So I got a pretty good price, I think. And, um, but they said, yeah. we have another one that's refurbished that we'll give to you at an even greater discount. Do you want that? And uh, I said, yeah, sure. You know, I don't mind uh, refurbished. I buy a lot of used equipment and it, it's fine. Um, so I received the eyepiece and they also said that the refurbished eyepiece comes with warranty and you know all of that good stuff so i received them and the refurbished eyepiece uh, had a mechanical issue um so the eye oh. cup on these things adjusts upwards it clicks into three different yep. heights and this one was just locked yep. like there was no way of freeing it up i took it apart i did all oh. sorts of things to try to make this thing work and no go um so i emailed the company that i bought it from and uh, they said, oh, that's really unfortunate. Um, they said, you know, just about every time the refurbed produ- uh, products are really good, but occasionally there is a dud. Um, so they said, we'll just ship you a yeah. brand new one. We were able to get more in stock. Um, and they said, there's no sense sending that one back to us. Um, you can just put it into, into your recycling. Um, the thing is, though, this, this IP still works great. It's just, um, you know, you again, you can't adjust the cup upwards. So what does that yeah. mean? Like, what does that impact? Well, um, if you don't wear glasses, you would want to adjust that up because this eyepiece has 20 millimeters yeah. of eye relief. And um, if yeah. you're not wearing glasses, it's just sometimes it's hard to position your eye or you'll get too close. So you just adjust this thing upwards. Well, for me, you know, I wear glasses. Um, you know, it's very usable still. And uh, for anybody else that wears glasses, it's very usable. So I don't need all three. I'll get rid of one here. Um, I'm not sure how or when or why or where, you know, all that kind of stuff. But um, they are they are really good eyepieces, these XFs. Um, you know, the, the yeah. Teleview Delights get uh, a lot of super positive reviews for their comfort and their, uh, their clarity and their contrast. Um, you know, for... For a wide field eyepiece, um, they're probably amongst the best for sharpness and detail. Um, you know, a lot of people say that they are very similar to like orthoscopic eyepieces or, or simpler glass that usually outperforms the wide field complex stuff. Um, so mm-hmm. the XFs are right on par. Um, maybe, a, you know, I, I think you're splitting hairs to pay, maybe pick one over the other. Um, in terms of clarity, I felt like the Pentax might be just a touch more neutral, but I'm not, I'm not sure about that. I'd have to, um, uh, I'd have to, you know, do a few more observations probably to confirm that. And, and by neutral, I mean, not imparting any color. The moon I find is a real, real good test of, um, neutrality of an eyepiece or if it does, you know, introduce some color. 
Um, mm. The one thing I'll say though about the nine millimeter delight is I, I just cannot get um, the eye cup adjustment right on my uh, Takahashi 76 millimeter. Um, it uh, like when, when the eye cup is all the way down, this delight is only supposed to have 20 millimeters of uh, eye relief, but I just get blackouts like crazy. Like I, it's almost unusable. Now you can adjust yep. that upwards, which I did. And that kind of fixes it, but it's still like you, you need perfect eye placement. And, you know, one thing that I've, I've read a few people, you know, uh, comment negatively on and I'll, I'll support it is the eye cup adjustment on the delights just doesn't work for me. Um, it's, uh, mm. like you, you loosen the tension and then you slide it up or down. And the nice thing about that is you can pinpoint it to exactly the spot you want it. The issue though, so then you, you get it to the spot you want it, you tighten it up. And like, I've tightened that up, you know, I think about as, as, as you know, tight as I can get it. Right. And mm -hmm. it's still like, sometimes like when I was, uh, when I put the uh, cap on it at the end of the night, just squeeze the cap down. Well, I moved it. Like mm -hmm. I moved the eye cup adjustment, it slid down. So then I would have to readjust it the next time I was out. Um, so yeah. I think it's going to, I think the delight I'm going to sell. Um, I may try yeah. it in some of my other telescopes first, just to see if it works better there. Um, yeah. Cause one thing is the delight does have a, a wider field of view than the XF. Um, that was quite noticeable. Um, and then maybe my last comment is I also have a, a delight 15 millimeter and that one works yep. perfectly. I don't have any of the blackout issues with that eyepiece. It's just this nine millimeter that is frustrating the heck out of me. Well, and we should say this too, Shane, is that, and, and you and I have both noticed this in, um, in other telescopes with other eyepieces, like I think the, the Nikon, uh, mm -hmm. SW was, was the same, the five millimeter at that time. And, and you noticed the blackouts in your, um, in your 76 and, uh, and we're struggling with it. And I found the same in my TAC FS 60 and, and kind of working in, in slightly different, uh, focal lengths and focal ratios. Um, but was really surprised. It was, it's like a perfect eyepiece in my, in my TAC 100. Um, and you know, uh, it's just sort of baffling in a way because that TAC 100, I think works about the same, uh, focal length or, or get around the same focal length as your, uh, as, as your, uh, 76 does, uh, with the extender. So it, it's kind of weird that it, it the focal length and, and the shape and size of the light cone um, will impact uh, the performance of the eyepiece, which is something that I hadn't really thought of so much before, before I experienced that. And then I, I had a bit, I don't want to say like, it's like an online debate or anything, but, uh, but I did try um, an Orion 20 millimeter uh, wide field. I forget what it's called, but they're, uh, 80 degree eyepieces that have uh, 20 millimeter eye relief. Uh, and I tried the 20 millimeter one, but I tried it in my 60 millimeter. And I noticed that it had again, like significant blackouts. So I didn't buy it. And then there's a person online who has slightly longer focal length instruments and they swear by it. And I'm just like, like, how can this be? Like I found uh, again, like, like you were saying uh, too many blackouts, but uh, another person isn't finding any. So maybe, maybe that person's eyes and glasses and other things are different. Um, but I'm actually now thinking maybe it's more of the telescope um, and kind of what we experienced um, before, like with the, with the Nikon SW. So, 
but anyway, it, it, you know, you kind of have to have the, the eyepieces that, that work for you and your, and your instruments. So it, it's mm-hmm. a little bit of a moot point when it doesn't work. Right. <laughs> totally. You know, and, and the other thing here is, is you can buy two of these XFs for the price of one, uh, delight. So like, if you are into bino viewing, um, I, I don't think you can do much better than the XF eight and a half millimeter. If you want something in that focal length and you need the yeah. eye relief, it's, it's really, really good. Um, you do give up a little bit on the field of view, but uh, you know, it's not much like maybe, maybe five degrees uh, or no, probably a little bit more than that. But anyway, it's not a lot. I I didn't really measure it. It was just looking at the moon, but, um, yeah, they're really nice eyepieces. Yeah. Well, I, I would really like to try it. So, um, you know, unless you're super keen, uh, to, to unload it quick, um, you know, at some point in the summer, like when we're out, I would love to try that XF. I've always been curious about them. I've had the mm. opportunity to get one as, as an eyeglass wearer too, that, that I can't adjust the eye cup probably isn't going to be uh, that big a deal. And with my uh, 1.65 Barlow, um, I'd get a nice 5.1 millimeter eyepiece. So uh, that, that could be, uh, that could be appealing to me uh, as well. So, but a- anyway, yeah. do I For need sure. another eyepiece at this time? No, <laughs> probably not. Nope. There, there, there's two eyepieces in the XF series. There's the eight and a half and then there is and the, the 12. Uh, 12. Yeah. Um, the 12 doesn't get as favorable reviews. It sounds like it has quite a bit of field curvature. Um, oh, is that the one? Cause I, cause yeah. I didn't want to ask about this cause I couldn't remember, but I remember one gets really good reviews and the other one uh, trails it a little bit. Although like in longer focal length telescopes, mm-hmm. I, I wonder if it's going to matter as much. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is it. You know, longer focal lengths, it's less noticeable. Um, but the eight and a half really does. It's the, it's the one that gets the shine of those two anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. So you got some goodies again. Uh, you know, this is strange. I'm, I'm doing a lot of observing and you're not, you're (laughs) buying a lot of gear and I'm not, you know, it's like our worlds have flipped upside down here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. Um, like I said, because, because of the pandemic and, uh, unfortunately we certainly have a lot of high numbers here. And, and so like, what, what it boils down to is that a lot of the nights where maybe I would go out in my yard, like, unfortunately neighbors have been having a lot of people over like in their driveways and that, which is like, just like we have pretty small lots where I live. And, uh, so I'd only be like a dozen or so feet away from maybe, 10 people. So I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to set up with the, with the numbers of, of cases we have. And, uh, I did some last fall where I masked up and observed and it just, yeah, it, it, that's, that's a little difficult to do. And then you're thinking, well, I should just drive out of town, but now I can't even do that. So, um, that, that's why I'm not doing as, uh, as much observing. So the other thing, the other thing is I'm trying to get my gear really, um, optimized, for this, uh, this summer. Oh, and it's been really cold. So, um, one thing we should mention is that it's been like around like minus six, minus seven. Uh, and now with the moon, I dig it up yesterday morning, I was going to go observing and the moon was still up when it was getting light. So I'm like, well, that's not happening. So, uh, so anyway, but, um, I did buy some nebula filters, sort of a, a little bit of a long story. So, um, Last year, actually, it was just a year ago, I received uh, a two-inch diagonal. I really like the Lumicon diagonals. 
um, but they can be difficult to get because Lumicon is a small sort of boutique uh, company that that's traded hands quite a few times. It's now owned by a company called Farpoint um, Astro Equipment or something like that. Um, have you have you have you dealt with Farpoint before? By um, yeah, I'm trying to think. Um, I have. I have some of their uh, visual backs, one or two, like just little accessories like that. I've, uh, I've yeah. purchased. Yeah. So, so they make a pile of of niche uh, sets of equipment, but as as they've traded hands, different uh, individuals and groups have have owned them, and often they've discontinued one product in in favor of uh, a newer product. But uh, they make these diagonals, and and it seems like there's like people either love them or they hate them just by the look of them. They have a 45 degree angle on the back. Most um, most diagonals have a 90 degree angle on the back, and uh, I always just like the look. I th- I thought they just looked really um, funky and different. A, um, B, they're super lightweight um, for a two inch. Like there's there's these two inch diagonals are about the same weight as a as a heavy uh, one and a quarter inch diagonal. And then the the third and the thing that I was really looking for is. They have amongst the uh, the widest uh, aperture and the shortest um, light path, and those are important for wide field observing. So some diagonals actually won't let you get the full uh, light path from using uh, a super wide field eyepiece like a Pentax uh, 40XW or Panoptic 41, um, and and you you know you'd basically be maxed out at uh, at maybe a 40 or, or 41 millimeter um, field stop at an eyepiece. So I really like the fact that I, that I can get the the full aperture of my super wide field low power eyepieces, which which I love to use, and these are also ideal for for using with filters. So back when when I was first uh, you know g- getting some pretty decent equipment, sort of when I first decided that I would I would spend some real money on astronomy, I uh, I bought a whole pile of inexpensive filters. Um, you know, some, some Orions and some, uh, Bader's and, and some other ones. And they're good. Like they're, they're great filters. Um, but the one thing that, that you notice really quick with these inexpensive filters is, is not that the optical quality or, or how they appear, um, is any less than the others. What you notice is that often you run into challenges with like the, uh, the filter threads, and they can be a little bit more difficult to thread on or the glass becomes loose in the cells or just, just different things like that. So it was sort of disappointing. I, I, I bought um, an O3 filter and uh, a friend of mine um, borrowed it. I think before I even looked through it, he threaded it on his eyepiece and as he was, and he had threaded it on. And I, I had also experienced this where you would thread it on and it would almost just like fall off. Well, as he went to put it in his telescope, it fell off and it actually landed on the gravel and it chipped the, uh, the filter even before we ever used it. So, so that happened, but anyway, so I'd always thought uh, if I liked them, if I liked these filters, I would eventually upgrade. So this Mm -hmm. is about like 12 or 15 years ago. So anyway, I, uh, I did end up using these filters a ton. In fact, like, you know, the, the glass chip is just among the many uh, battle scars and dust and scratches they've accumulated over the past uh, decade or so uh, in the field. Pretty, pretty rough environments. Um, and the one thing that I found was, was annoying because I do use them every night. I go out and do deep sky observing. I'm using them. Um, 
the thing that I found annoying was a, they don't thread in well. So you have to be careful and uh, it's just difficult to be careful late at night. And when your hands are cold and you're tired um, to, to take the extra care and attention, threading them on just, just means they've made many tumbles to the ground. And then um, the other thing is, is that because I'm often observing objects that aren't nebula, and don't require a nebula filter, and then observing objects that do require them, and then observing <laughs> objects that don't require them, I'm often spending like an inordinate amount of time threading filters off and on during the night. So I'd always thought that I'd want to get one of these multiple filter selectors by Lumicon. I don't think anybody else really makes something quite like this for two-inch filters. Um, but when I priced one out, I think when I priced one out, Back, uh, I guess about five or six years ago, it was going to run me between five and six hundred dollars Canadian, which is which is too steep for me, and I, I think probably um, just doesn't make any sense at that price. Um, that that's just my own personal opinion, um, and it's a niche product. That's why it costs so much. So it's just for people that like to do tons of nebula filter observing um, that that don't find that price uh, uh, to be a distraction. Um, but when I ordered the Lumicon diagonal last year from a company that was going out of uh, business. Um, I just ordered a regular diagonal just because I, I like the regular diagonals anyway. Um, and, and turned out they didn't have regular diagonals. And what they sent me was part of the one for the multiple filter selector. And then I saw the multiple filter selector on the, on the site. And I was like, oh, gee, what's going on here? So I wrote them and I said, hey, you guys sent me the wrong the wrong part. Can you can you can I send it back to you and exchange it? And they said it, it turned out they actually had received um, only the multiple filter selector diagonals and not the others. I said, well, like this this isn't any good to me. Um, maybe you could just send me the top part. So they actually sent me a whole uh, set. So I have uh, I have two uh, one and a half sets of uh, of the Lumicon multiple filter selector. So a bit of a long story there. But then I was super eager to get my filters in. Once I received it, and unfortunately, they don't fit because of the threading issue I mentioned before. <laughs> yeah, it, it just never ends. It never ends. So I knew at that time I was going to have to do the upgrade. When we were doing the podcast two or three weeks ago, you mentioned filters are going up in price. So I knew that this is what I was going to be spending some money on this month. So so that's what uh, that's what I've I've been doing. So I bought two filters and received them so far. I bought the Lumicon 03 and UHC two inch Gen 3s, which uh, get great reports. And I, I got a fairly good price on them, um, especially considering the price is going up. But I, I got a fairly good price, uh, sort of a bit of a sale on them, even before the price goes up. So that when I get the third one here next week, which is a, a Teleview Nebustar H beta, uh, it's kind of kind of be like I bought two filters. Uh, you know, or sorry, three filters for the price of two is kind of what uh, what I got going on here. But maybe we should describe what a nebula filter is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's probably a good idea. So, um, do you want to take a stab at that? Or well, well, I've chatted here quite a bit. Maybe okay. uh, I'll just throw it back to you because you actually have quite a few filters as well. So, uh, so what is a nebula filter, Shane, and, and why would somebody want to spend money on this? Yeah, so a nebula filter. Um, really cuts the light that is coming through to your eye. So it will uh, block out various wavelengths of light and only pass very specific wavelengths. Um, so why is this important or does this do anything to improve your observing? 
so the the answer is it is important and, and it does improve your nebula observing. Not it won't help you with galaxies or clusters um, or really just about anything else that you look at. But if you're if you are observing bright nebulas, these can enhance the view. Um, so mm-hmm. there's uh, there's three main nebula filters out there. Um, and they all have um, sort of specific purposes or, or certain objects that they work best with. Uh, the most common nebula filter would be an ultra-high contrast or a UHC filter. Um, they're good for probably the largest amount of objects out there. And if you're only going to buy one or you're going to start with one, probably the UHC is, mm-hmm. is the way to go. Um, now, there are some variations mm-hmm. within the UHCs, like some will pass the red spectrum, um, I think the newer astronomic ones pass less of the red spectrum and the Nebu star by Teleview yeah. passes no red. Um, and there's, there's yeah. pros and cons to that. The pro being uh, the stars are, are a tighter, like they appear sharper um, with less distortion. Um, but anyway, that's a UHC. Uh, probably the next most common would be an O3 or an oxygen three filter. And again, this just allows different yep. wavelengths of light to come through. Um, it's a little more specialized, yep. but there's still a pretty wide array of objects you can use it on. Uh, the most famous being the Veil Nebula. Um, and if you've never seen the Veil Nebula yeah. or you've sort of uh, been underwhelmed by the Veil Nebula, uh, get an O3 filter. That That's maybe one of the more transformational views that a filter provides, in my opinion. Yep. It's it's outstanding. Yeah. Um, and then the and last they work, one... You know, there's... I just want to say something really quick because one of the common questions is about um, using nebula filters on smaller telescopes because it used to be um, that the sage advice was unless you have an eight inch or larger instrument, don't bother with nebula filters. But I found that to be a a completely false assertion and that even in my uh, 60 millimeter telescope, I'll routinely take it on trips and bring uh, all of my filters and just a couple eyepieces and I find, like like you were saying, the O3 on the uh, Veil Nebula um, is is fantastic in, in my 60 millimeter. It basically takes it from, you know, is it there? Isn't it there? You know, and then when you when you drop it in, yeah, it dims the whole sky down, but all of the light from the from the nebula comes through, so that uh, it really improves that contrast. Anyway, sorry, go ahead, Shane. Yeah, no, no, great, great interjection. Um, the last filter that I'll mention is uh, it's an H beta or hydrogen beta. Um, and, uh, it, it's, it's quite a bit more specific in terms of its use. Um, there's not as many objects for this one. Um, probably the most famous is the, uh, the horsehead nebula. It helps bring that, yeah. well, not the actual horsehead, but the actual bright nebula around the horsehead. It helps bring that out, which, uh, makes the horsehead a little more visible. Um, I, I have an H beta. I haven't used it all that much. I know you, you speak quite fondly of the H betas and, and you seem oh, yeah, to uh, yeah. really like them. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, and that all comes down to personal preference. You'll, you'll see people online say um, like you, they, they've bought it. They've used it on a few things. They use it intermittently. And then you'll find other people like me that say that, uh, that do, they do use it quite a bit. Just depends on the objects you, you'd like to go for and, uh, and hunt down and everybody's vision is a little bit different uh, as well. So in the sort of the oxygen and the H beta, these are kind of called line filters. That's what we refer to as line because they they sort of uh, allow all the light in certain lines to pass through. Um, and then the UHC basically allows both the oxygen 
the double I's, the double ionized oxygen, the O3 and the H beta to pass through. And then we have broadband filters, um, which I don't really have a broadband filter though. I, although I guess like my beta UHC dash S, which I do really like. Um, I think that's almost more like a broadband filter because what, what those broadband filters allow is, is just a huge broad spectrum uh, of the light that's straight across the, uh, um, the, the type of vision that we use under dark skies. Yeah, I, I think the, um, the moon and sky, sky glow filters and like the LPR filters, I think those are broadband for the most part. Okay, I have um, those, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I haven't used those a lot, but um, you know, they're, they're in the mix as well, I suppose. Yeah, I like them. Um, like I said, I, I like I, it, I find I don't uh, find many nebula filters I don't like. So it's sort of been that's kind of been a bit of a problem. I think at one point I own more filters than than eyepieces just about. So. Yeah, you know, and, and maybe one other comment about filters. If anybody is in the market for a filter, you're going to find all sorts of brands of, you know, that make you say a UHC filter. And there is a difference, you know, between the various makers out there, um, yeah. you know, uh, like an inexpensive um, nebula filter may not give you the results you're expecting versus uh, say like one of the yeah. higher end ones like Astronomics, uh, Lumicon, Teleview. Those are probably the top three, I think, when it comes to filters, yeah. but maybe I'm missing one or two. I'm, I, you know, that, that's just yeah. off the top of my head. I don't think you are. Those seem to be uh, the ones that get the, the most ratings. I've certainly looked through, um, I think, all, all of those, although the Teleview's not not as much. Mostly I've looked through the Lumicons. Um, and there are other uh, filters out there. And, and what it boils down to is this. It's not that the other ones um, can't be good. Um, what, it, what it comes down to is that, one, I, I have found that the fil- for whatever reason, the filter threads are a problem on these other ones and you can buy replacement uh, cells. And uh, I keep meaning to do that, although it's not inexpensive and, and not problematic to do that either. Cause you could take them apart and it might not fit. And I mean, you can run into other, other issues and there is a cost to doing it. Um, and then as well, um, what, what you can find is just an inconsistency in the quality. So like with the, uh, the astronomics, the Lumicons and the, uh, Teleview, uh, Nebu, you call it a Nebustar. I thought it was pronounced Nebbuster, but <laughs> which I thought was brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and Teleview, it's kind of weird. Like they have, so all of their nebula filters are called bandmates. Uh, yeah. is the brand. So they have a bandmate O3, a bandmate H beta, and then they have a bandmate Nebustar. <laughs> it's like, yes. why don't you just call it a UHC? Cause that's what it is. But anyway, it's kind yeah, of, I was confused. Yeah. When you were telling me you had the Nebustar, I'm like, what's that? <laughs> like, I yeah, thought they were yeah. all Nebustar. Yeah. But it's weird. Anyway. Yeah. So, so, but the, the televues are made by astronomics though. I think that that's they are. Yeah. The, the, yeah. Well, okay. so there's also, this is where, you know, you, the devil's in the details. Um, there's multiple generations of all, all of these filters too. So I highly recommend if you're buying a filter to go with the most current generation, um, because they do advance in terms of like technology and coatings and the light throughput. So for example, if you go with the Teleview bandmates, there's a gen one and a gen two, the gen one Nebustar, which is a UHC, um, passes, um, the red spectrum. Um, mm-hmm. 
the new Gen 2 that they had astronomics, uh, I think, make for them, there is zero yep. red transmission that comes through that filter, apparently. And a lot of yep. people prefer the Gen 2 over the Gen 1. Um, Lumicon, I believe there's three generations of that gen three being the most current. Um, yeah. so just again, some, some awareness, if you're in the market for a filter, there's, there's a few nuances to be aware of. Yeah. And, and to be honest, like, uh, nebula filters are one of those things that seem to hold value. So I actually thought what I might do is uh, kind of shop around, maybe get some used ones. Um, but like the used, the used Lumicon nebula filters were going for $11 less than the new ones. Um, so it, it really, you know, I, I might've saved, I don't know what it would be factoring with tax and the person wasn't charging as so much for shipping, but um, it wasn't like a, like a significant dollar figure. And then the other thing is, is that these have, uh, have these very specialized coatings and they degrade over time. So I already have mm-hmm. these older ones and, and I can see that mine, mine have degraded. Like some of them, um, you know, you, you can just kind of look right through them. There's, there's barely any coating left. It seems they, they just gradually deteriorated. I've had them in some harsh environments and, you know, anyway, I've taken them on too many trips, I think, and, and observed them a lot, but, uh, you know, so, so getting a brand new set probably makes, uh, makes a little bit more sense. So anyway, I loaded them up and, uh, yeah, the first two, they work in the, in the filter slides. So what, what I can do is slide them into the, uh, optical path and slide them out of the optical path while I'm observing. So, uh, kind of reduces that futz factor, which, which I really like, just need to figure out a way to, uh, kind of keep them covered. Um, and I realized that, that like a sock probably is going to be a great inexpensive <laughs> solution for this, like probably, uh, you know, just, just steal one of my uh, spouse's socks and uh, she'll never notice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've heard that too, that those work really well. <laughs> so yeah. So, so, so Chris, Chris had posted on cloudy nights, um, uh, this issue of, you know, the, the thread or the, the height of the, the, uh, on filter cell as well as how to cover them. And yeah. I replied that using an old sock would probably be the most effective way of, of covering the filters. So I'm glad you saw that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like I wasn't, I'm not knocking any of the other filter producers and, and the ones that I have are they're, they're good. I think they're excellent. Um, but again, I don't, I don't know why they either a make the filters, um, with slightly off threads, it seems strange because I think it's a fairly standard thread for for all two inch eyepieces, and then the other thing is the heights vary like considerably. Mm-hmm. Um, so some some nebula filters can be as high as uh, as eight millimeters above the threads, and then some are as low as uh, less than four millimeters above the threads. So you know it, you you really end up stuck with with what will actually fit. And again, like. Even, even on the ones that I have, um, which I think the, the filter and the glass are excellent. I just, uh, they are getting old, time to replace them. And um, unfortunately, I, I just uh, can't kink those to work for me. Like it is disappointing when you, when you get a filter and you pay the money and then you go to thread it in. Um, but you are saving, like I think my original filters cost less than half the price of these. So that, that's kind of the trade-off. That, that's where it goes, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, for sure. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, Shane, um, we're going to do an interview here in about uh, 10 minutes. So uh, I'm thinking unless you have anything to add, we should probably call this an episode. 
Yeah, uh, there's just one thing I want to mention, um, and that's that we have a new Patreon. So mm. uh, a big thank right. you to Adam uh, yeah. for that. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, thanks um, so much. And it's awesome. So we're glad you enjoyed the podcast. And uh, uh, yeah, just from the bottom of our hearts, thank you. Yeah, thanks so much. And, uh, you know, we do really appreciate it. And uh, so, yeah, thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com. 